beautiful day out here and I uh, hope you get out and enjoy what's left of it. I heard it's going to turn again on Thursday, but we'll see. It is February, so probably will. I had a lot of you, uh, last time I, I spoke, I was uh, heading in for another eye surgery and um, I've had several of you ask how that went. It, it, the surgery itself went really well. Uh, at least that's what they told me. I don't see any different, but uh, they said that won't take place till June sometime. But uh, it went well, uh, except that I was awake when they did it, because um, I had to be. That wasn't pleasant. But uh, though it went good, it, they gave me devastating news. Um, I can't jog. I can't walk on slick sidewalks. I can't risk a fall. I, you know, can't get in fights, can't do anything, you know. Um, so, good side and a bad side, I guess. You know, I've been wandering through the book of uh, Mark, and if you've been following along, if, you, if, you're, if you've been with us during this time, started last fall, we've, we've kind of walked through the, the ministry of Jesus through the, through the eyes of, of Mark. Well, actually, through the eyes of Peter. Uh, Mark was one of Peter's disciples. Uh, Mark was not an apostle. He uh, came to faith after uh, the crucifixion, and he was a disciple of Peter. So basically, Mark is Peter's account uh, of Jesus' life uh, as he told it to Mark, and Mark uh, wrote it down. But if you've been following along, you'll notice that where we are now is in what we would refer to as the Passion Week. We're coming up on Easter here. It's not until uh, the second week of April, but... Um, as far as in the scripture, where we are historically, we're at Wednesday. He's, he's come in to Jerusalem at this point. Uh, he uh, had traveled there. We, we looked at uh, the ministry he had along his travels, but he's now come in. We've had the triumphal entry where he came in seated on a colt, and he was received by the people. Now, his ministry is heating up. It's at a fever pitch. The apostles, um, they've been gearing up for this. They, they're clueless as to what's going to happen. Uh, even though Jesus, as we'll look at, has been rather specific. He's told them what's going to happen, but they don't get it. They, along with the people, were looking for the Messiah to be the, the earthly ruler of the nation who would deliver them out of the bondage that they had been under since the kings. And so they, uh, you know, they're looking for a Messiah, and, and word has gotten out over the course of these last three years of Jesus' ministry that this guy is somebody special. He's doing things nobody could do, nobody had done. He was 
amazing. The apostles knew this. They were kind of, they were, you know, they had just had an exchange a couple chapters ago, a chapter ago actually, from where we are now, where they were wanting to know who's going to be the rulers, who's going to be seated at his right and his left when he comes into his kingdom. So they're already, I mean, they're kind of looking, they're jockeying for position in the kingdom, and he rebukes them for that uh, because they didn't get it, and they wouldn't get it for a while. There's another group of people that aren't so excited about his return to Jerusalem, about his being there on this week of all weeks, the week of the Passover. They were the religious rulers. They were the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. They weren't excited about this uh, rebel, this false teacher, as they referred to him as, coming into town, let alone being received by the people. People were surrounding Jesus. And remember, Jerusalem during this time would swell to, uh, you know, amazing numbers. It, I mean, it would, it would surpass the 75th rally, okay, where you got a town of 3,000 that suddenly swells to uh, 600,000. This was more than that. This, they're coming into town by the droves because they came for the pa they were coming for the Passover. The scribes and the Pharisees were uh, they were looking for an opportunity to seize him, but this crowd of people were coming to see him, and they feared the people, so they were looking for an opportunity and had been now for years, a couple of years. They were looking for an opportunity to arrest him. The religious leaders watched uh, as, he, as he spoke to the crowd and as he began to proclaim from the word, from the, the prophets, the truth. The truth that they, per, they pretended to know, but not the power of it. So that's the setting. Wednesday, Passion Week, lots of people, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, walking around, following him, looking for a way to trip him up. That's what's going on, but the people are coming because he's a phenomenon. Uh, they, they were hoping that this man was who he claimed to be. And of course he was, but not in the way that they had hoped. In Mark chapter 8, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit here. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, we find that for a while here, Jesus had been preparing his apostles. He'd been preparing his disciples for what was coming. You know, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was God stepping out of eternity into time as a man to pay the debt for mankind's sin. He knew why he was there. The crucifixion that was just, you know, hours away at this point 
was going to be no surprise to him, but to everyone else. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three, after three days, rise again. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he had been killed, he will rise again. He will, he will rise three days later. Then in chapter 10, he's, he's uh, instructing his disciples again in, chapter, in verse 32. It says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, into Jerusalem. So this was just days before, about a week before. And Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And he again took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered, into the, delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him, and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Does it sound like Jesus doesn't know what's going to happen? He knows very well what's going to happen. I don't know what's happening right now, but is that better? Okay. So Jesus is, uh, has been preparing them for the events that are coming. But what he does next, and this is where we pick up in John chapter 12, he's got something to do yet. He's got to make sure people clearly understand that he's known all along this was going to happen and for what reason. He knows that the Pharisees and the scribes are plotting. He knows they're rejecting him. He knows they're trying to take the people from him. He knows all of this. He's been confronting them. He's been... He's been uh, stumping them with his questions and his answers. He's been, they, they can find nothing to pin anything on him with. Nothing. He's frustrating them to no end. But what he does now, and this is what we're looking at in, in chapter 12, what he does now is he draws the line very clearly and very deeply. He calls them out for who they are, and he does so with their own teaching. He does so with what they are totally familiar with. He does so with their history. He does so with the words of a renowned prophet, the words that they taught. And he calls them into account with the words of Isaiah. So before we get to Mark chapter 12, let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 5. Starting in verse 5, or excuse me, starting in verse 1. 
Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also hewed out a, out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless or sour ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not already done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. The words of the prophet Isaiah. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed. And so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. What Jesus do has done here is put the religious leaders under a microscope. He has elevated them up for all to see to say, hey, this is about you. The title of this message is, Can You Hear Me Now? Because that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, I want you to know there is a distinct difference between me and you, me, my purpose, and your purpose, and you are standing against God. 
These guys were well aware. They, remember, they didn't have Bibles back then like you have Bibles. They didn't have devices that they could punch up and ask questions or read from or whatever. These guys had to go to the synagogue and listen to these guys. These guys, the religious leaders, the scribes were the ones who wrote it. They copied them and so that there were, the priests and the Sadducees would have the, the, the scriptures to read to the people and then they would interpret those uh, scriptures and they would tell the people, you know, what God was saying. And the people were dutiful. They were faithful to go and listen. They were very, very familiar because they were charged by those scriptures to teach their children the truths of God. So going and listening to the Word of God preached was very, very important to them. And they were very familiar with the scriptures. So when Jesus starts quoting the prophet Isaiah, they know exactly. They probably could have finished it for him. Most of them had it memorized. That was a sign of being righteous and holy in that day. But now he turns it on them with this parable. He takes that same vineyard spoken of in, in Isaiah. He takes that same vineyard that the, uh, the prophet himself had declared, do you know who the vineyard is? The vineyard is Judah, is, is, is Israel. Do you know who the vine growers are? The ones that are charged? Jesus makes it very clear it's them. Very clear. Now what? Now what are they going to do? They've been exposed. Jesus has, has turned this passage against them. But he elaborated on it. Because he said the, the owner of the vineyard, which is God, planted the vineyard, left it in charge of others, and then went on a journey. That journey, by way of interpretation, is the Old Testament history. It's the Old Testament from Moses to present Jesus. Time and time and time again, it says that he sent people to the vineyard to collect, to see how the vineyard was doing. Those are the prophets. Israel is, Israel is the vineyard, the vine dressers, the vine growers, they're the religious leaders. The journey is Old Testament history of Israel. The slaves are the prophets the, sent to call out Israel because they were constantly in sin. They were constantly ignoring the Word of God. So the prophets, God kept sending to say, mend your ways, repent, follow the truth, follow the way. But time and time and time again, they killed him. There was no repentance. The Son, of course, is Jesus. The one thrown out of the vineyard. In other words, he was going to be rejected by the whole 
nation. The indictment, the history of Israel, from Moses to John the Baptist, God sent his prophets to warn the people. He was always looking out for the people. They were going wayward. He would send the prophets to correct them. They didn't want to be corrected. They didn't want a thing to do with what, with what God had to say. What happened to those prophets? These ones that he spoke about, that they kept sending, and they kept rejecting, they kept killing. Isaiah himself. History says he was sawn in two with a wooden saw. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 37, in the Hall of Fame of Faith, it talks about those who, who were prophets of God who were sawn in two. Jeremiah, beaten, put in stocks, thrown into a pit, and later stoned to death. Kind of makes you wonder if you want to be called, doesn't it, back in the Old Testament times? Ezekiel, stoned. Zechariah, stoned. Micah, beaten in, in the face. John the Baptist, beheaded. And there's others, on and on and on. Those sent by God were run off, killed, mistreated because they didn't want to hear what God had to say. They wanted to do things their way for themselves. They weren't interested in what the owner of the vineyard had to say. And so what Jesus is doing is he's calling... For judgment. He's letting them know right now he's done. This is over. The time had come because the son was now here. They were going to kill him. But he lets them know he's coming back. He'll be back. The judgment, the vine growers, listen to this, the religious leaders, uh, they were sentenced to hell. These are the religious leaders who proclaimed to know God but led people astray. All they did was, was speak so that they could get the, the accolades and the benefits from men so that they could lord their position over others. In Matthew chapter 23, this is what Jesus says of them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous in, to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous." And say, if we had been living in the day of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men, 
and scribes. Now, keep in mind, at this point, he's talking to the present-day religious leaders face-to-face this way. And he goes on now to speak about those who are going to come, the New Testament prophets, the New Testament teachers, the New Testament preachers, the apostles, the, the disciples. He says, Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous, blood, bloodshed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, and on and on. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon that, this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and some of those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your ch- children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. Basically, he's he's going to clean house. And if you know your Bible history, if if you know... What, what was written in the Word, in, and it's not just Bible history, it's history, 70 A.D., that generation. The Romans sacked the temple, ransacked it. There was not one stone left upon another. They destroyed all the records. They, they scattered and killed thousands and thousands of of Israelites. They They were on the run. They were purging this people. The Romans had had enough and they ran them off. And this was fulfilled. In that generation that he was speaking of, it was fulfilled. It was over. They lost all their records so they didn't know who the priests were anymore. They lost the the records. They didn't know what tribe they were from anymore. And all of a sudden, that religious system was wiped out. And still is. Still is. Why? Because it was powerless. Why? Because they didn't rely on the one to whom they were supposed to be giving honor and worship and getting guidance from, they had rejected him. And why? Because they killed his son. Judgment. It was harsh, but it was necessary. The prophecy was fulfilled in 70 A.D., But you know, he said that the vineyard would be given to others. In Matthew's account, he says the vineyard would be handed over to others. In other words, the charge of knowing God and worshiping God, relating to God, would be given to others. No longer it was the priesthood of the Israelites. No longer was it 
Was it the people of the, of the Jews? He said, I'm going elsewhere. I'm turning to others. The others, the new vine growers, the new tenant farmers were the apostles. They were the ones who Jesus would, would inspire. Remember just days or, or just hours after this, he tells them he will send, that he has to go away. But in his absence, he will send his helper, the Holy Spirit, he will lead them into all truth. He will reveal to them what is needed. He will empower them with what is necessary. He said, I will go away and I will send my helper, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit descended upon these people, the apostles, they began proclaiming the mysteries of God that had never been seen or understood before. They are the writers and the disciples of the, and, and the disciplers of the writers of the New Testament that you and I now have. They are the new foundation. He is the cornerstone. The cornerstone in a building project is a, that, that, that stone that was set and it determined square. Everything came off of that main, that chief cornerstone, and everything was dependent and sprang from that. Everything was in, in line because of it. He is the cornerstone. In Psalm 118, as he came into Jerusalem, they proclaimed, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know what it says just ahead of that? Verse 22, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He quoted back their own praise, their own knowledge of Psalm 118. He said, you have totally missed, but I'm coming back. And we know three days after they crucified him, he was back for good, for eternity. Having buried sin, all of our sin, having buried that sin, he was now prepared to build a new kingdom, to plant a new vineyard and we find out he is the vine we are the branches the branches don't don't produce fruit they bear the fruit that's us he was starting over with a new people that's us you see the stinging indictment was for them but the promise was for us if you look in uh, Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter chapter two, this is what is said. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, Christians, he's referring to here, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood 
to offer up a spiritual to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for this is con is contained in scripture behold i lay in zion a choice stone a precious cornerstone and he who believes in him will not be disappointed this precious value then is for you who believe but for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a royal race, or chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That sounds like a pretty good deal for us. And it is. Don't miss the point of what Jesus was, pro, was proclaiming, what he was predicting, and what he's accomplished. He started over with those who believe. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what your genealogy is. He says for those who believe, Believe what? Believe that he is who he declared himself to be. He declared it to those in his day, and they rejected him. But he said, that's going to happen. But watch what comes to those who believe. Have you received his spirit? Have you said yes to his invitation of a relationship? Are you a Christian? Then you have everything that pertains to life and godliness. And the work's not done. He's still building. He's still, he's still forming his stones. That's us. In our lifetime, he will be, he will be chipping away the stuff that isn't us and, and building us up in the stuff that we are, created in his image for this precious building says that we are the temple of the Most High God. But the end is coming. Just like he told them the temple would be destroyed, that they would be scattered in their lifetime. If you notice, the book of Revelation is written in past tense. He's already seen it, and he said it's going to happen. He says, nobody knows the time of it. But it's going to happen just the way he wrote it. Just the way he declared it to be. Just as sure as what he said was going to happen to him did. Are you ready? Are you living as though you are a child of the Most High God? an heir to everything he has, or are you being distracted by the world? Now remember, 
Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's not the license to go out and do it. But what it's saying is, you know what? We're living in a world that's hostile to us. And you know, we're going to get deceived every now and then. We're going to get led astray every now and then. But that's when we, we come to, to the living water and say, please, I need to wash my feet. I've been walking in the world. I know I'm clean. Now I've got to get going in the right direction. So if the devil has you down, if he's got you questioning, if he, there isn't a thing going on in your life that this Redeemer, this Savior doesn't know about and prepared to meet, are you walking with him? This wasn't a story just to, so that we can tell our kids about it. This is a story that we live. Do you know the word? The Pharisees knew the word in writing, but they clearly did not know the word that became flesh and dwelt among them. Do you know that word? Because the Holy Spirit speaks through the voice of the writings of the foundation. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, he speaks that same language to you and I. Know the word so you know you're on the right path. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done, what you've accomplished. Father, we ask now that you would remind us of the promises that you have made to us. It's all about you. It's none of us. And I pray that you find us faithful walking out into this world knowing that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, I pray that you would just lay it on our hearts, the importance of knowing the Word, and that you would find us faithful in studying the Word.